probably the easiest way to get into some of these publications if you're just starting out is to use a service like Haro, H-A-R-O, Help a Reporter Out. And so Help a Reporter Out, it's journalists, they go to this website and they say, I'm working on a story and I need quotes or I need an expert to give me some information for this story I'm working on. And they're in a rush, they've got a deadline, so they put it out on Help a Reporter and this email goes out to the email list and then if an expert comes across that and says hey i'm an expert at this thing that this guy needs welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can the whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Josh Steimley. If you missed part one, please go back and hear about him writing 300 articles for Forbes and Entrepreneur and all these major media publications and writing his book, CMOs at Work, with interviewing the chief marketing officers of Spotify and Audible and GE and Home Depot and these great companies. Josh I, Josh, I guess jumping right into it, when you think about how getting the book written is obviously a major accomplishment, but that they don't typically sell themselves. Can you start talking about your philosophy towards building an email list, having an online presence that supports your message, you know, doing keynote speaking, getting in major media publications, and kind of how that whole ecosystem works together to have the book actually have the effect somebody hoped? Sure. So if there's one thing I wish I would have started doing earlier, what years before I put a put out a book is I wish I would have built an email list. Like that's the one thing, because when you have an email list, you have this captive audience, you can go directly to their inbox and speak to them. And if you have that audience, as soon as your book comes out, you can say, hey, here's my book and a bunch of people will buy it. So my friend Ben Hardy, he just came out with this book, Personality Isn't Permanent. He wrote one. I think it's Willpower Isn't... Uh, Willpower doesn't work is the one he came out with before. But Ben went out and nobody knew who he was until he went on Medium and started writing on Medium and figured out how the algorithm worked and figured out how to write great content. And he became the number one writer on Medium in 2016. And so he built this huge audience on Medium, but he was smart because he also got those people to sign up for his email. And so I can't remember how many subscribers he had. It was like 120,000 or 150,000 when he went to try to pitch his first book. And they gave him a $220,000 advance, which is huge. Most authors don't get any advance. And if they get anything, it's going to be small. It's going to be 5,000, 10,000, something like that. He got this $220,000 advance because of his email list. That was the main reason. They knew that as soon as his book came out, he would send out an email and a bunch of people would buy it. So his personality isn't permanent. It just came out and he just shared some stats with it. His first week that the book was out, he sold about 12,000 copies of it, which is huge. His publisher, Penguin, uh, Random House, I'm looking at the book on my desk right here, but his publisher is thrilled with this. This is way better than they expected. And why is he able to do that? Because he's got that list. And so he can turn to that list and he can get those kind of sales. So that's the one thing I wish I would have started doing a lot earlier was building that email list. Yeah. So next, beyond the email list, let's talk about speaking. Why, why is speaking such a great thing to be doing in addition to your online presence, in addition to having written the book in your mind? 
One thing I love about speaking is I feel like it really helps with the material for the book. When you go out and you prepare a talk, you get instant feedback. You can look in the audience and you can see how people are responding to what you're saying. And that gives you clues about what you want to write in your book and how people are going to re respond to that. The great thing about speaking, of course, is you give a talk, a couple hundred people see it, and that's it. Whereas with the book, you write it, you publish it, it's too late to change it. With the speech, you can change it over and over and over, refine it, get better and better and better until you know that you're really hitting your ideal audience and getting the right response. So it's a great way to refine the content, to see how it sounds as you say it, because we've all had this. We, we get up on stage and we've got our things prepared and then we start saying something. We're like, this just sounds weird when it actually comes out of my mouth. And so we change it. That's great because now it's not going in the book the wrong way. It's going in the right way. So speaking is great that way. It's also great for building an audience because you go out and speak, you can turn that into your email list. You can convert it into that. But there's also something to be said for just the credibility of speaking around. So being able to do a TEDx talk or being able to speak at events in your industry that are well-known, that's extra credibility. When people see your book come out and they say, you know what, I saw this guy speak at this event, that makes them more likely to want to buy your book. Now, here's one of the big secrets about why speaking is so good for book writing is that when you speak at events, you meet other speakers. A lot of those speakers are also authors. And when it comes time for your book to get out there, those author relationships become invaluable because those are the people that will put testimonials on your book that you put on the cover saying, hey, I read his book and this is great. And there's a lot of back and forth where they help you, you help them. And so those relationships and having that face-to-face -face with the other speakers is one of the most valuable parts that comes out of speaking at these events. I love it. Well, I'm thinking about some of the fancy events you've spoken at. You know, a few episodes we had Chris Neeland on from The Gathering. And if people missed that one, he's the guy that runs those conferences at the Banff Springs Hotel where it's like these cult brands like Harley Davidson and GoPro. And, and you know, these basically you have to be one of these amazing brands that has followers that are cult-like in order to be there. And yet he asks you to, to speak at that event. What's going through your mind or, or what kind of approach do you bring when you know you're, you're speaking to an audience of that level? What I'm thinking about is, well, mostly like don't choke and don't make a fool of yourself. But after that, what I'm trying to think is there's somebody out in this audience who needs what I have to say, and I'm speaking to that person. And it might be one person, but I'm looking for that one person that I can help, that I can deliver some value to. I know that a lot of the people in the audience are going to listen to what I have to say and think, eh, well, that sounds good, but that's just not my stuff. That's not anything that I need. And that's okay. But there's somebody out there that I can impact. And so I want to zero in on that person. And I want that person to come up to me after the talk and say, that was so valuable. I was taking notes. I was writing stuff down. This is so helpful. And if there's just one person who will say that to me afterwards, and I feel like, okay, it was all worth it. I got that one person. They liked it. That's fine. And I know that if they liked it, then there are probably a hundred other people in the audience who liked it as well. So what are some things that you've done do you think increase the likelihood that you get booked for keynotes and other speaking gigs? Speaking on podcasts actually is great because then people listen to it and they know that you know how to speak and that you can get in front of an audience. Doing video casts or uh, vlogs is also great because then they can see you and the way that you move. Really the best thing for getting more speaking gigs is getting speaking gigs. 
and it can be hard to get started. But like Grant Baldwin, who runs Speaker Lab, says when you're first getting started, just go record yourself speaking in a room. Go to a college campus or something, set up the camera and give a presentation to an empty room, but record it and put those videos on your website. And as long as an event organizer can tell that you will do a good job, that's all they really care about. They just want to see the goods. They want to know that you're not going to embarrass them if they hire you to speak at your event. Yeah. Any other uh, tactical or practical tips for, for speaking as an author? So one other thing for authors is when people come to see you speak and they know you because they know your book, they want to hear about the book. And it can be tempting as an author to think, well, they've already read my book. They'll be bored if I rehash things. And so I'm going to talk about something completely different. And it, what's going to happen if you do that is people are going to leave and they're going to say, oh, man, I came to see Brene Brown speak. And she went off on something that had nothing to do with any of her writing or any of that stuff. And I came to hear her talk about her thing, the thing that she does. And she didn't talk about that. She didn't talk about shame. I wanted to hear about shame. And she didn't say anything about shame. She's talking about this other thing. People are going to be disappointed. They want to know that they're getting what they came for, what they bought. And that's based on what you've produced in the past. And so you want to get into the book. You want to focus on the book. That is your material. That's pe what people want from you. But then they want the behind the scenes stuff too. So you talk about the book, but then you add something. So like for me, with chief marketing officers at work, there are things that I can share about what it was like interviewing these CMOs and things that they said that got edited out, perhaps because of legal reasons. I can talk about how the CMO from Twitter wouldn't let me publish their interview after I got it because she was on her way out of the company and she was afraid she'd get sued. I can talk about things like that that I, I would never put in the book. But then when I talk about it, I'm still talking about the book. But now people feel like they're privy to insider information. Yeah, I love it. Well, can you talk about book promotion? So somebody's, you know, they, they've been writing the book. They know that they're, they're writing the book that leads people to say, man, I got to buy that book instead of having to hire that guy I can just pay 15 bucks for the book. And then they read the book and they're like, man, that guy's awesome. I should hire those folks. Right. And you, you've been building an email list and doing things on social media or whatever to lead people to that email list. You've been out there speaking or getting those first speaking gigs. Can you talk about an actual book launch and, and the value of being in major media publications and some of these things at the like, okay, it's finally ready to go live. The first thing to understand about promotion is that promotion starts today. There's that saying, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. If you haven't already started promotion, it's got to start today. And you might be saying, well, but I'm not going to publish my book for four years. Doesn't matter. Start promoting it today. You can start promoting it on social media by sharing what you're doing, your research, the thoughts that you have about the book. You can tell people that you're working on the book. But if you make that process transparent of writing your book and you put that information out there, you ask for input, you ask for feedback, you start to develop your personal brand around that book ahead of time. And you can use that to build your list and find your tribe that's going to buy that book. And so promotion has to start way in advance of the book coming out, or at least it should. And as you get closer to that time, you can start investing in things like PR, although really you could do PR for years as well too, leading up to that book. So if you establish yourself as the go-to expert on the topic of the book before it comes out and people see you in these magazines and they see the articles and everything, the more that you can get, the better. If you can do that for 10 years, that would be better than doing it for 10 months. 
So the earlier you can get started on all of that, the better. Now with PR, to get really practical, it's great to get into Forbes and Inc and Entrepreneur Time or any of these publications that you can, because then you can put that on the book and say, as seen in these publications, and it adds authority to the book. If you're a first-time author, there's a good chance nobody's heard of you, but if you can have those authority badges on your book or in your book somewhere, prominent so that people see it, they'll say, well, hey, I've never heard of this guy, but he's been in all these publications, so he must know what he's doing. He's probably super famous. I just haven't heard of him. So that's what they'll say if they see these badges in there. And it's easier than you might think to get into these publications. Writers are looking for articles. They're not looking for bad articles. They're looking for good articles, good stories. But if you know how to pitch the right way, you can get into these places. Probably the easiest way to get into some of these publications, if you're just starting out, is to use a service like HARO, H-A-R-O, Help a Reporter Out. And so Help a Reporter Out, it's journalists. They go to this website and they say, I'm working on a story and I need quotes or I need an expert to give me some information for this story I'm working on. And they're in a rush. They've got a deadline. So they put it out on Help a Reporter and this email goes out to the email list. And then if an expert comes across that and says, hey, I'm an expert at this thing that this guy needs, then that expert can reply. And maybe that expert ends up getting featured in that article. So you can go and help a reporter totally free. You sign up, you get their three emails a day, and then you scan through those emails and you say, you respond to stuff when it comes up that you can respond to, that you are a legitimate expert on. And you might get quoted in some of these magazines. I've gotten into Fox Business. I can't remember. I've gotten into a bunch of publications that way by going on Help a Reporter. Did I ever tell you that I got into the Washington Post that way? There you go. And then uh, I actually became friends with the journalist, Christopher Elliott, and then had him on the show. So it turned out well. Yeah, it was fun. Um, Yeah, so Help a Reporter is a great tool. You can also pitch journalists directly. You can go to these publications like Forbes. And Forbes is an interesting one because they have a lot of contributors. Contributors are not paid staff journalists. They are people who get to write for Forbes. And I was a contributor to Forbes. That's how I wrote for them for three years. And there are thousands of contributors at Forbes that you can go to, and they're a lot easier to pitch than the staff writers. So you can go to these contributors, look at the stories they're publishing. And if you find a contributor who seems to be covering your topic that you're an expert in, then you can reach out to them. And here's the trick, the secret is do not reach out and say, hey, I'm, at, I'm an expert on such and such. Can I help you out somehow? Or would you like to interview me? They get a thousand of those pitches every month. What you want to do instead is you reach out to the contributor and you say, hey, I see that you write about XYZ topic. I happen to be an expert on that topic or something related to that topic. I'm just curious, what stories are you working on right now? Maybe I can help out with something. That's the question you want to ask because then if you get her, they have stories they're working on, they probably want help on them. And then if they understand that you're not there to just pitch yourself, that you really want to help, they're more likely to respond. And then they'll write back and say, hey, here are three stories I'm writing on. Yeah, if you can help me in any way, let me know. Now you know exactly what they need. And you might look at that email and you might say, you know what, I can't really help with any of these three stories. That's fine. You email back, you say, hey, you know what? I'm not a good fit for these, but I'd love to reach out again in the future. Is that okay? And they'll say yes. And then you can reach out in the future, same thing. Or you can help out either by putting yourself in there and say, yeah, I'm an expert on this article that you're writing about and I have some insights on this. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not an expert on this, but I have a friend and he would be a great person for you to talk to about this article. 
And that way you're still developing the relationship, you're adding value, and now you're getting in with the right people. And that that will come back to you, guaranteed. Nobody does this, but if you do this, you will get responses. I've gotten responses from all sorts of staff writers at all sorts of publications doing this because I know nobody else does it. Nobody pitches this way. You know, when as you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, what are other things that I feel like you have really paid the price for expertise? You know, Facebook and some of these platforms have become so big. It, it's the game has really changed compared to where it was five years ago. But there's so much that can be done on LinkedIn these days. Can you talk about some of the techniques you use to get 30,000 followers and, and the things that you do to help other people get thousands of followers and connections? Yeah, so LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. It is the best social network out there, hands down. And in fact, when I was writing for Forbes, I started taking my Forbes articles and publishing them on LinkedIn. I would just copy it over and I'd put it up on LinkedIn and I'd say this was originally published on Forbes. But I was getting more comments and more reaction on LinkedIn than I was getting on Forbes. And so after a while, it's like, man, seriously, like writing for Forbes is great, but I actually get more value from LinkedIn where anybody can publish things. So I started publishing a lot of content on LinkedIn. And so that started building my network. Now then LinkedIn came along and they switched their algorithm so that the long form posts, which were part of their Pulse network that it used to be called, but kind of these blog posts that you do on LinkedIn, those didn't get featured anymore in the feed. They just buried them. And so I wasn't getting results from that. So I had to pivot and I started writing the short posts that were still showing up in the feed. And I got a lot of attention from that. In fact, I wrote one post and this wasn't related to anything I do, but it was when the whole Me Too movement came out. I had posted on LinkedIn something about something related to that. And a woman responded and talked about how she commonly got harassed on LinkedIn. And this was shocking to me. I thought, really? I mean, like who goes on LinkedIn and harasses women, tries to hit on women? I mean, I'm a male, I guess. I've just never experienced this. I didn't know this was a thing. I was just really surprised by it. So I wrote a post asking women to respond. And I just said, how common is this? Like how many women have been harassed on LinkedIn in a way that made them feel uncomfortable or made them that wasn't professional? And that post went bonkers. It got up to over 3 million views. I had thousands of comments. I mean, it was just, it went insane. It it was out of control. Like I couldn't follow all the comments that were happening on it. And of course, that was timely. It was related to something that was controversial. Women wanted to have a voice. They wanted to speak out. And a lot of women realized, I think, for the first time that they weren't alone being harassed on LinkedIn. And so they're like, hey, me too. Yeah, so they were jumping on. Well, that post ended up getting me into uh, multiple publications because publications wrote about that post and linked to and said, hey, Josh Steinle wrote this post on LinkedIn and here's what happened and everything. And so I got PR out of it. I got PR in places I never would have gotten PR. I mean, like I ended up in a British tabloid. Like, well, I hope I never end up in a British tabloid for anything else. But I mean, I was getting all sorts of PR out of that post. And that wasn't the only one. I wrote other posts too that did really well. I wrote another post about entrepreneurship and just talking about how it's kind of lonely to be the entrepreneur and nobody really understands you. And of course, you can't really complain about that because when you're the guy at the top running the business, it's it doesn't look, it's not a good look, right? To complain about being the guy at the top, you know? But I wrote this post about it saying, you know, it's hard to be an entrepreneur and here's some of the things that you go through and you suffer alone. 
And I wrote that and I was featured on Dave Ramsey's podcast for that. I mean, I wasn't interviewed, but they, they read my post at the beginning of the podcast on Dave Ramsey's podcast. And so that was a, that's a form of PR and that was a big deal. And it got me into other places. It got a lot of attention. So there are ways to write your posts on LinkedIn to get attention. Now, the other attention I got, which leads into directly into book promotion is because of my LinkedIn posts and talking about what I was doing there, I had a guy from a crowdfunding site approach me and say, hey, you should put your next book on our crowdfunding website that is specifically for books. And I'll name names. It's Publishizer. I had a great experience with them, so I feel comfortable saying their name. But I thought, you know what? Sure, I'll try this out. They also connect you with publishers if your campaign does really well. So I went on Publishizer and I set up my next book and I put it up on there and I brought in $26,000. I pre-sold 600 copies of my book, which is amazing. It was one of the best performing campaigns that they had ever had. And that relationship came about because of LinkedIn, but also I was on LinkedIn promoting that campaign and saying, Hey, if you want to pre-buy my book and get these extra goodies and things, then you can go to my campaign here. And I ran the campaign for 30 days, got great results. So that also turned into a promotion tool, just crowdfunding it. That was a way to promote that book. LinkedIn was a way to promote the crowdfunding campaign. So all these things work together and there are all these ways to promote your book. The great thing about the crowdfunding is it was great validation. It was great to know that, hey, people really are interested in this book. They really want it. And you can do that kind of campaign before you ever write the book. So that's a great way to validate it. And then you know, hey, I've already sold 200 copies. I've already sold 500 copies. And I think to some people that doesn't sound like that many, but most books in their entire lifetime will never sell more than a few hundred copies. If you sell more than 3,000 copies, your book's already like a category bestseller on Amazon that way. The average self-published book sells something like 250 copies during its entire lifetime. The average published book, traditionally published book, sells about 3,000 copies during its lifetime, entire lifetime. So for me to be able to go out and pre-sell 600 books, I already know that that's huge. That's great. And when it actually comes out, that I, I know that that book's going to do well because of the success it had with the crowdfunding. You know, it is interesting to think like, you know, you think about how skewed the numbers can feel these days. Like, you know, we've had 2 million downloads for the podcast, right? Well, we're nothing compared to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, as far as numbers, right? But then mm -hmm. I think like at a regular business, how many clients most of us have, <laughs> you know? And like, if you, if you get 200 people to read a 150 page book or something, right? Most businesses, I mean, maybe this is different in B2C, but especially B2B businesses, or uh, if you're in the investment world and you're dealing with, you know, really high dollar amount investors, like... People do not have 200 clients. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like right. a medium-sized firm can get by with 30 clients or, uh, you know, 100 clients over five years. You know, and you get 100 more people to read your stuff in one year, like 500 more people. Like those numbers are so small compared to YouTube views or something. But like it's a whole book and maybe they don't all read yeah. it. Right. But anyway, just thought that. Yeah. I mean, me. flip this around because. You think you go and tell anybody, hey, you're going to write a book and it's only going to sell 500 copies. Almost everybody's going to be depressed by that. They're going to be like, well, that's a bummer. Like, I want to have a bestseller. Or at least I want to sell like 10,000 copies or something. 
But yeah, when you flip it away that the flip it around the way that you're saying, take your clients. I mean, my agency, my marketing agency, we might land 10 or 15 new clients per year, and that's big for us. So if you came to me and you said, "Hey, I've got a program where we can get your 30-second ad spot in front of those 15 people who are actually going to buy your stuff." I'd be like, "Yeah, I'd pay thousands of dollars for that. I'd be so happy to get that in front of the right people." Well, what about a book? Like you're saying, 150-200 page book. What if you could get the right people to read 200 pages of writing that funnels them into your lap so that they want to work with you? And not only that, but it costs you virtually nothing to get this marketing material done. And actually people will pay you once you have it done. It's actually going to make a little bit of money for you too. I mean, that's a dream come true, right? Well, and that's it, a book. It is a mindset thing there, right? Because you hear about Stephen King or people who are super rich because their book sold so many copies. And we, so many of us think about a book as a, as a money generating thing, right? When I look at, you know, I used to work at the Arbinger Institute and I looked at, you know, their book, Leadership and Self-Deception, I think has sold 2 million copies now, right? It was amazing to work there and just get calls from NASA and on all sorts of people being like, we read your book. We told, what does it take to have you guys come work with us? You know what I mean? That was incredible. Like they did get paid for that book, but with how much money it generated, they should have like, they would have done it if they had to pay to get people to read the book instead of getting paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, think about your book, forget people buying your book. How many copies are you going to buy and send out to the right people so you can get it into their hands? Because when somebody gets a book in the mail, I mean, that's not a super common thing. I mean, it's common for famous people, maybe. I mean, I'm sure Oprah gets a lot of books. But for most people, they're not getting books randomly sent to them. And if you think about your audience and you make a list and you said, you know, who are the 200 people who really would be interested in my business and what we're selling if they only knew about it, if they only knew us a little bit better? Buy 200 copies of your book and send it to those. I mean, what better marketing tool is there? They're not going to chuck that book in the trash. Maybe they're not going to read it, but they might. If it's a good book, they'll read it. It's got a good cover design and stuff. They'll probably take a look at it. And then when they read it and they say, oh, this is this guy does what we need. We need to buy this stuff. This book is great. You've already sold them. They're going to call up and just be like, hey, send me a contract. That's what happened with me and Forbes. When I was writing for Forbes, People would read my articles and literally we got calls where people called up and said, I read your article in Forbes. When can I get a contract? We just shortcut a potentially six month sales cycle down to six hours. We'd get them a contract. They'd sign it the next day. We're done. We never had to sell them at all. They were already sold by the article. Your book can do that too. No, you know, there's, it's funny. We're, we're looking at this next book that I want to write this year. And uh, there's a book out there called The Perfect Investment the perfect investment and the guy's going through why apartment buildings and multifamily can be ideal if it's done correctly, you know, and you know, the book is really effective because when you go to his website, you know, previous to COVID apartment buildings really became the flavor of choice for a lot of people in commercial real estate. And so valuations had gone up and there weren't a lot of great deals And on his website. He's like, if you hear because you read the book, we're not actually doing that right now because the pricing isn't as great as when I wrote the book. You know, like I, I'm, I'm underdoing it here, but like it was so blatant. That book has sent so much traffic to people who want to invest with him because of the book that he's now having to okay. counteract it because the environment had changed. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. He's anyways, like, how do I get rid of this book? <laughs> 
Well, I think he's kicking himself. Why did I paint myself in a corner on on saying, you know, like on not leaving the door open to other things, right? But obviously, you know, this this brings up an important way of thinking about the book, though. That you have different buckets. You've got your business. That's a bucket that you can take attention and you can generate cash from that attention, and it goes into this business bucket. And there are other buckets that you can set up as well within your business or as side businesses, you can set up a consulting bucket in a training bucket and a coaching bucket or an events bucket or a speaking bucket. And your book is another bucket, right? You can take attention, put it into that book and you make money. But it's a good idea to think about buckets because you can end up with too much attention. And then you're like, I got all this attention. It's like somebody pouring water on you. And you're like, man, if I just had a bucket to catch this, that would be great. Start thinking about the buckets now, because when you write the book, you might get enough attention that you're like, I'm not ready for this. I can't handle this. This is actually too much attention. And I wish I would have set up my buckets a year or two ago so I could just collect this and harvest it. Well, think about Blake, you know, in in your course, he's got the video right on your 7sinfluence.com page, right? And he's talking about like his LinkedIn went so crazy after he started doing the stuff you talked about. He's got thousands of connections. And so now he like, he made his website, BlakeHanson.com, and he's writing the book to handle, like, because there's like select people he does really want to connect with, but he's like flooded with it now. And so he's got the website and he's writing the book to like take care of the masses so that he can work with the select people, right? That's true. Every time we talk to him, he's like, man, I got too many people calling me, too many people who want to meet. Like, what do I do with all this? And so, yeah, he's had to figure out how to funnel that out. Yeah. Well, Josh, ending off here, what are some book recommendations you'd give for the rest of us out there? Some of my favorites. One is Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. That's a wonderful short, super easy read. It's got pictures. It's a great book, but that will help break through some of the writer's block. So if you got writer's block, check that book out. It really helps with that. The best book that I know of on really the craft of writing is On Writing Well by William Zinzer. And he helps, he gives you permission to use simple language to make it easy. He's just got a lot of really great practical tips on how to write the right way. Another one of my favorites is On Writing by Stephen King. And I I actually don't like any of Stephen King's horror books, but I love this book. The first part is biography, which is fascinating to learn more about him as an individual. But then he goes into his writing tips and they're just golden and he doesn't pull any punches. He's just brutal about it, but he's got such great tips back there. So that's another one of my favorites. Also, Perennial Seller by Ryan Ryan Holiday is a great one, which that talks about how to, rather than focusing on making a bestseller, focus on writing a great book that will sell forever for the next 20 years and just keep on selling and selling and selling. So that's a great one. And then Everybody Writes by Anne Handley is another one that I really enjoy. I've read that, I think, three or four times because it's so good. Just a lot of practical writing tips. And again, she gives you permission to write the way that you want to write rather than feeling like you have to match somebody else's style. I love it. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing. Thanks so much for having me on again, Jess. Okay. Thanks, everybody.